Thank you for tuning in to Church on the Rock podcast. We have a great sermon in store for you. We hope this message challenges you, builds you, and motivates you into taking the next step in your purpose with God. Enjoy the sermon. So um, if you could turn with me to 1 Peter uh, 1, 7 and uh, 1 Peter 4, 12, um, we're going to kind of hold your finger in those uh, places. I'm hoping to encourage your faith today and so that it can, it can grow, that you can go out there and beat something. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> and First uh, Peter 1, 7, I'll be reading from the King James Version. It says that the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. And if you could skip down to First Peter 4, 12. We're just going to read one verse. (coughs) It says, Beloved, do not think it is strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you. Amen. Amen. You know, some um, first Peter one seven says that the process of your faith being tried is more precious than gold. The process is more precious than gold. And then it goes on to say. When something happens to you, do not think it is strange. When you run into something, do not think it is strange. Amen? It is there for a reason. It is there to try you, but the process of it is more precious than gold. Amen? I think sometimes in church we've, we've, uh, we've put, pushed forth a notion that, uh, of the promises, and we only focus on one side of the promises. We only focus on the good ones. Amen? He daily loaded you with benefits. Amen? You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. We focus on the, the ones about favor, amen, the ones about the blessing, amen. But there's another side. of there's another side. It said in this life they will hate you without a cause, amen. It says there will be something that's coming to test you. It will be a fiery thing, not a traffic ticket. It will be something that makes you want to quit, amen. It will be a fiery thing that's coming to test you, amen. We don't focus on the other side of it. But he said there's a whole nother side of it that's coming. Amen. Amen. And, and we and faith, when we think about faith, faith is not, you know, a status that, that, that you get to in life. It's not, you know, we want to brag about our faith because when we get that car that's, that's paid off, the house that's paid off. Look at my faith. Look at this. Look at look, look at this. It's, it's my faith because of my faith. But you really don't really understand what kind of faith you got until you get into a fight. Amen. It's the fight that results in your faith. Amen. If you don't want to fight nothing, this gospel is not for you. When God gets ready to use somebody, he uses a fighter. David says he teaches my hands to war. Amen. Caleb and Joshua were fighters. Caleb was 80 years old and said, I'm still ready for war. Amen. 80 years old said, I'll still go in the parking lot with you. 80 years old. When God wants to use somebody, he uses fighters. When he, gets, when, he gives you the prom, when he gives you a promise, a vision, or a dream, you better get ready to fight something. Amen? Amen. Children of Israel, if you're going to go to the promised land, you're going to have to fight somebody. David, if you want to be king, you're going to have to slay a giant. It's almost like the bigger the assignment God has for you, the bigger the giant that you're going to have to kill. Amen? Amen. It's called a process. The trying of your faith, amen, is more precious than gold. Amen. There's something about God... Seeing your faith being tried, he says that, that, that process is more precious than gold. More precious. Somebody say more precious than gold. So I, I want to get to, the, to change your, your mindset into understanding that it's about the fight. Amen. It's about the fight. 
I was watching a, a YouTube video, and um, you know how you watch YouTube about how to fix your, your thermostat, and sometime, somehow or another you find yourself watching a video about two parrots dancing or something like something weird. Like, how, did I, how did I get here? Well, I was watching a video on, on YouTube, and it, it was a mother, it, it just turned out it was a mother like dragging her son out in the, in the middle of uh, the street to this group of boys, and she just threw him out there, and she said, fight him. And I said, what kind of mother is this? I said, thank God for Cynthia Rogan. I said, what kind of mother is this? And the boys fought for about two minutes. She grabbed the boy and she, her son, and she walked off. She said, he ain't going to fight you no more. Let's go back. Let's go home. And I kind of understood right then and there what was going on. I said, this is a mother who lives probably in a rough neighborhood. Her son's getting picked on, coming home crying. She can't go to the other parent because the other parent's probably worse than the child is. And she says, I'm tired of co you coming home fighting, little Johnny. You're going to have to learn to fight for yourself today. You're going to have to learn to fight for yourself today. We're going out here, and you're going to fight for yourself today, and you're going to learn that after you fight this bully one time, he's not going to fight you no more. Sometimes little Johnny got to fight his own battle, amen. She said, I can't come out here and put on my robe every day and come fight for you. Make no mistake about it, this gospel is about fight, fighting, amen. The scripture says this, the, kingdom of, the kingdom of heaven suffered violence, amen. It says fight the good fight. It says put on the full armor of God. It didn't say put on the half of it. It said put on the whole thing. Put on the whole thing because you got somebody out here who's worn like a warring liar seeking who he may devour, devour, amen. He's coming to kill, steal, and destroy. And if you don't have any fight in you, you're going to lose some stuff, amen. You're going to lose some stuff. It's going to be the story of your life. But thank God for some fight, to have a, some fight in you where you can say, as for me in my house, he's not touching anything. You want a good marriage, you're going to have to fight for it. You want, a good, some, you want God to take care of your house? You're going to have to fight for it. You want your money right? You're going to have to fight for it. You want good health? You're going to have to fight for it. When God gets ready to use you, he needs a fighter, somebody that can fight. Amen? It's about having some faith. Amen? Faith that fights. I was watching, I was watching two, two boxing analysts the other day, and they were talking, and, and it struck me. I didn't really have an opinion on the particular boxer, but the, but the way the boxing analyst was talking kind of struck me. It was two boxers, two boxing analysts, and they were debating on who were the greatest boxers of all time. And one particular boxer came up. One boxing analyst said, this guy's one of the greatest of all time. He was, a, he was a beast. He would knock you out in the first round. He knocked so many people out in the first round, people were afraid of him before they even came to the ring. He said, he's got to be one of the top boxers of all time. The other boxing analyst said, no. For that very reason, I don't say he's one of the greatest boxers of all time. He said, because before he got to the ring, people were afraid of him. He said, but when he fought somebody that wasn't afraid of him, when he fought somebody willing to go the distance, when he fought somebody that decided his punch did not hurt, they beat him more times than not. He said, for that reason only, I don't declare him one of my greatest boxers of all time. He said, you can teach anybody to box. He said, but you can't teach somebody how to fight, amen. Fighting comes from within, amen. You got to decide from within whether or not you're going to fight or not. He said, that's why I don't say he's one of the greatest fighters of all time. When God began to make co a covenant with mankind in the Old Testament, there was one prerequisite. It was that you had faith. In the, old, in the New Testament, nothing changes. He said, the just shall live by faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please me. I'm going to give you a promise in this lifetime. I'm going to give you visions and dreams, and if you're going to go after them, you've got to have faith. Amen? 
in the Old Testament, when mankind fell, he said, I need somebody to fix this thing, and it's going to work with me entering into a covenant. Your side of it is that you trust me. My side of it is that I be God in your life. He said, all I want is a people. I want to be their God, and I want them to be my people. He said, but your side of it, I'll give you thousands of promises, but you got one, you have one obligation to me, that that is that you trust me. He told Abraham, do you trust me? When Abraham, when he found out Abraham trusted him, he said he gave Abraham a covenant. He said, I will make your name great and blessing. I will bless thee. I'm going to cause you to be, I'm going to cause you to be a great nation. Amen. He said, give me the father of many nations. I'm going to bless your children's children. And he, and he did just that. He went down through Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, got to David, made David a king, got to Jesus and made him the king of kings. And then he got to us and he said, now the game changes. Amen. He said, anybody who wants to be in this family can be in this family. And the same covenant that I made with Abraham, I'm making with you. The same blessing that I'm putting on Abraham, I'm putting on you. But you still have the, the same one obligation, and that is that you trust me and that you believe I will never fail you. I will never back out, and you can never back out. If you ever back out, you've ruined, every, you've ruined the whole promise. I don't care what it looks like, you have to believe me. I don't care what it looks like. You have to trust me. I don't, want, I don't care if the condition changes. You have to trust me. Amen. And I can think of no better person to, sp- to speak about today than Joseph. He's an heir of Abraham. The one that was favored but ended up in a pit, ended up in prison, ended up in Potiphar's house. I can think of no better person to talk about because so many times in life we get to the point where we say, how can I be blessed and favored and be in this condition? How could I be blessed and favored and get in this condition? The truth of it is, favor and blessing don't exempt you from trouble. Favor is God's fingerprint on your life that even when you look back over your life through trouble, you say, I see his fingerprint on my life. I see it all my life when I look back over my life. Favor is God's fingerprint on your life. Joseph, I can't think of anybody better to talk about because Joseph He's the favorite in his father's house. I'm going to give you the quick rundown because it, it's, like, it's like 13 chapters. We ain't got time to read 13 chapters. But, it, it, but <laughs> he's, he's his father's favorite. His father says, you're my favorite son. Gives him the robe of many colors. Amen. The robe represents favor. It represents the covenant, many colors. And Abraham being the father of many nations, it represents the covenant. It represents divine favor. His father said, this is your robe, Joseph sit at the table. His brothers saw this favor and hated him because of it. And Joseph gets the bright idea after it. He had, he had a dream that he'd be a ruler and rule over his brothers. And I guess Joseph, I guess if you could describe him, if he was a female, he'd be a blonde. Because this is not something, because all of us would have been like, bro, d- don't tell your brothers this dream. Don't tell your brothers this dream. Because, because they're going to hate you they already hate you. They're going to hate you even more. They're going to hate you even more. Amen? And he's, he tells his brother the dream, and they decide, they, they decide you know, just you thought, they say, let's kill him. It's, let's just kill him. So they take, they take Joseph and throw him into a pit, and he had one good brother that said, let's not kill him. Let's just sell him to slavery. And they said, okay, good deal. Let's, let's sell him to slavery. So they sold him to be a slave, and the Bible says because God favored him, he promoted him to be a servant in Potiphar's house. Amen? But even after God promoted him, the Bible says he was, he was cheated out of being a servant because Potiphar's wife tried to sleep with him. He rejected her. She lied on him and said he tried to rape her. And then he ends up in prison. Yeah. 
even after God promoted him, he falls back down to prison. But it's in prison where his destiny is born. Not in his father's house. It's in prison where his destiny is born. Amen. Because he's able to interpret dreams. And Potiphar, I mean, uh, Pharaoh needed somebody who could interpret, and dream, interpret dreams. And David, I'm not David, Joseph, J- Joseph began to build a reputation that he could interpret dreams. Amen. And when God, uh, when, when Pharaoh promoted him, he promoted him straight out of prison. But I wanted to focus on the three places that Joseph ended up in. He ended up in the pit, he ended up in Potiphar's house, and he ended up in prison. All three of those places have almost, there's like a resemblance of life itself. Because at some point in time, the description of these places, you will find yourself in. The pit, for example, he's in his father's house. He's the favorite. That's common logic says this is where his destiny will be born from. But he ends up in a pit. His course for life changed. You want to make a weak Christian quit, change the course of their life. All it takes, all it takes is you to draw up a plan for your life and realize, oh, this is not going according to plan. This is not going according to plan. You want to make yourself laugh. I dare you to write down the next 15 years of your life, year by year, and in 15 years, look back at it. You cannot start a business and then not go according to plan. Look, look check this out. Try, try, to, try to plan a wedding and see if it goes according to plan. Agnes had a blast at our wedding. I did not. <laughs> I loved the wedding part, but the reception was a mess. Because the food is so expensive. It did not go according to plan at all. The food is so expensive. We, in, we invited a strict number of people. Cousin, aunt, uncle, cousin, aunt, grandmother, fa- grandfather. And we, we, we got to the reception, and, you know, that's, that's a lot of money. The food was. I'm, so I'm looking up at the table, you know, the food table. Agnes is doing the, the Cupid shuffle on the dance floor. I'm looking at the... I'm looking at the food table, and you start seeing people that you don't know. You ask Agnes, do you know him? No, nah, I, I don't know him at all. So how is he? Oh, what, what, look how many scoops he's getting. I mean, who, who is this man? Who, who is he? I'm like, this is a mess. This is, does he know how much that costs? Like, you, you find, you, you'll see that, you know, at a, at, you know, the wedding did not go according to how I thought it was going to go. So I told her, let's go. Let's, you know, let's, let's, let's hop in the limo and go. <laughs> but make no mistake about it, your life will never go according to plan, to your plan. It will never go. God is almost like, a, he's almost like a parent like us, you know. As a parent, you learn how to be a great negotiator. You're dealing with a two, a three-year-old, a four-year-old, a five-year-old, a six-year-old. You learn how to negotiate real well. You learn how to make somebody take a nap. You learn how to get somebody to eat their vegetables, amen. I'll give you dessert if you eat this broccoli. We go to the park if you take a nap. But to get them to do something, you throw out the promise first, amen. You show them the good part first. Because if you stick with the bad part, it's going to be some trouble. God's not going to tell, God would never, he never told anybody the trouble beforehand. He told Abraham the blessing and the promise. He didn't tell him about Sodom and Gomorrah. He didn't tell him about the trouble. He was talking about the blessing because he knows some of y'all will look at the trouble before the promise and be like, no, I'm good, God. I'm good. I'm good. My dad said after he got called into ministry, he said, I never, I never thought I'd be in civil court. 
I never thought I'd have financial trouble. It was after I got called into the ministry, all that happened to me. <laughs> the bigger the assignment, the bigger the thing you're going to have to kill. And um, I, was, I, was, uh, I was looking, I was t- um, talking to a friend one time, and uh, he, was a, he was a youth pastor at a particular church. It was a big church. And I saw him last year, and I said, I said, man, I said, I said, how's it going, at, you know, at the church or whatever? He began to laugh. He said, he, he started laughing. He's like, he said, you ain't heard? I was like, no. Nah. I was like, he said, man, I, I don't. He said, I'm not the youth pastor there anymore. I, I'm not even going to church. He said, I don't even believe in God no more. I said, whoa. I said, man. I said, I said, what happened? You know. And he he began to tell me his story, and I, f- I figured out real fast that his life didn't go according to plan. It didn't happen the way he thought it was going to happen. So when, when it came, he quit, amen? And it, it reminded me of P- Jesus t- talking to Peter. He's, t- he's talking to Peter, and he says, Peter, he says, the enemy is coming to sift you like wheat. He said, and I'm, but I'm praying that your faith will fail you not. He didn't pray that the enemy does not come. He did not pray that your, your, your life would not change course. He did not pray for any of that. Peter would even go on to, to deny Jesus three times. He told Peter, you're going you're gonna to deny me three times. He said, I'm not even praying that you don't, I'm not even praying for your morality. I'm praying that your faith will fail you not. I'm praying that when push comes to shove, you do not quit. It's your faith that makes the difference. That's what the enemy is after. He is after your faith. He is not after your car or your house. He he goes after those things to get to your faith. He goes after your marriage to get to your faith. Because with faith, nobody can beat you. He's after your faith. He says, above all else, Peter, I'm praying that your faith fail you not. Because, like I said, in life, we get in these situations where you ask yourself, how could I be blessed and favored and end up here in a pit? How could I be blessed and favored and end up in a pit? But like like I said, favor does not exclude you from your life-changing courses at all. It does not exclude you from your life-changing courses, and that's what gets most believers. That's when they begin to quit, when life changes courses, when you you, you begin to say, how can I be favored? How could I be called the blessed? And I'm ending up here in front of some divorce papers, amen? How could I be favored? How could I be blessed? And I'm sitting here on the front row of a funeral. We begin to ask ourselves those questions. And how could I be favored? And how could I be blessed when my my life has taken this drastic turn? He said it's it's called the pit when your life changes courses. My life just changed courses. But but if you can have faith, amen, if you can be like Jesus and Peter and and, and keep your faith in the midst of it, amen, you can win, amen. If you can just not lose faith, you can, you can win. Amen. Amen. The, the next one is Potiphar's house. I love, I love Potiphar's house because the Bible, it tells us that God was with Joseph and promoted him to Potiphar's house from slavery. He, the, Bible, the Bible says God was with him the whole time God was with him. The whole time God was with him and promoted him to be a servant in Potiphar's house. I don't know about you, but being a servant beats being a slave and the bible says that it's at potiphar's house where potiphar's wife lies and cheats joseph out of his out of being a servant amen it's from there 
that he that Potiphar gets upset with him and throws him into prison. And common logic will look at this scenario and this sequence and say, okay, he's in a pit, slavery, gets up here to be a servant. This is where his life takes off. This is his breakthrough right here. This, this is God turning the situation right here. This is God turning it right here. But then he, moments later, he ends up in prison. He's in the worst place possible. Prison, confinement for life, amen? So it's almost like a breakthrough that fell through. A breakthrough that fell through. You thought it was turning, but comes turns out it got worse. The condition is worse than before. Yeah, you thought it was turning, but now it's worse now. A strong a strong Christian can can win in the pit, but some lose right here in Potiphar's house when the condition gets worse. You prayed, they prayed, the breakthrough happened, but now it's gotten worse. Now the person, now your spouse has left the house. Now the doctor's coming back saying it's back now and it's more, the disease is stronger now. Wow. It's stronger now. Your condition changed. Wow. That would confuse a strong Christian. Yeah. They thought the breakthrough was about to happen. They thought it was about, they thought they got promoted. Yeah. But now the condition is worse now. Yeah. I can only think of, I can only think about uh, Mary and Martha when I look, when I look to the, the, the condition getting worse. They had a brother named Lazarus in the Bible. Lazarus is the only person in the Bible. Jesus mentions loving groups. He, he mentions loving the disciples. Lazarus is the only person that Jesus ended, that the Bible individually says Jesus loved this person. The Bible says Jesus loved Lazarus. He loved Lazarus. Mary and Martha see their brother getting sick. He's about to die. They send a message to Jesus and say, Jesus, the one you love is sick. The one you love is about to die. Jesus sends a message back. He doesn't come. He sends a message back and says, the sickness shall not end in death. He says, it shall not end in death. And you know, Mary and Martha, they were close to Jesus. They, they probably had some church going about them. They probably had some church going women. Even though they're sitting there with Lazarus and his body is getting worse and worse, they're probably saying, Jesus said the sickness won't end in death. I know he's not breathing right, but, the, but Jesus said the sickness shall not end in death. And I want to be a fly on the wall when that confession changed. I want to be a fly on the wall when they, when they said, you know what, he's beginning to stink now. His body's decomposing. I want to be a fly on the wall when they declared that he was dead and begin to wrap his body in cloth. I want to be a fly on the wall when they called for the men to transport the body to the tomb after Jesus just said the sickness won't end in death. I want to be a fly on the wall when they closed the, 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 the tomb up and walked away saying Jesus' word failed on my life. I want to be a fly on the wall as they walked away. Jesus comes back three days after Lazarus dies. This is the one he loved. This is the one he loved. He comes back three days after Lazarus is already dead. He's, he's coming up. Mary and Martha are crying. Everybody is crying, and Jesus himself begins to weep. He's not crying with the same grief of, that they're crying with. He's crying because he says, I gave you a word. I gave you a word. But the condition got worse, and you, you put the condition over my word. Stop burying stuff I never told you to bury. Stop burying something I said was going to live. Stop burying something that does not need to be buried. I gave you my word. I don't care what the condition looks like. I don't care that it got worse. I gave you my word. 
I said the sickness shall not end in death. Now let's go back to this tomb. Let's go back to this place where you said I failed you. Let's go back over there. Let's go back there. And since you rolled forth the tomb, you roll away the tomb. We got to fix this problem in your life. We got to fix this area in your life where you said I failed you. We got to fix this area where you said I did not come through for you. The problem is you let the condition impact your confession. You got to be able to have the same confession in the pit, the same confession in Potiphar's house, even when the condition changes. I cannot let the condition change my confession. If you're going to be a strong Christian, you got to win in Potiphar's house. When life takes you to Potiphar's house, you got to win there. Even though the condition changes, you got to win there. You're going to face times in life where the condition changes. You thought it was a breakthrough, but now it's getting worse. It's getting worse now. But it's, it's just a condition. It's just a condition. And then we get to prison. Prison represents that place the enemy told you you would never leave in life. Prison is confinement. He says, this is the way it's going to be. This is the way it's going to be. And he got you into trying to almost believe in this is the way it's going to be. This is, the, this is the story of your life. This is how this thing ends. When we look back, this was going to be the story of your life. And the thing about the enemy is the enemy, he, can, he cannot fight you forever. He has his own stamina. The Bible says that when Peter was walking on water, fell in, and Jesus helped him up, put him in the boat, the Bible says immediately the storm stopped. Yeah. Immediately the storm stopped, meaning that he, if he could have just kept going a little bit longer, he would have beat the storm. Yeah. The enemy can't fight you forever. The problem with most Christians is they don't know when it's going to end, so they just quit running. Even though you got more left in the tank, you just quit running. I was, when I was in my former life in the police academy, we would, uh, we would, tr we would run every day. <laughs> run every day. I'm talking about three to five miles a day. And after, after we got in shape, I mean, running five miles was easy. It was, it was easy. And towards the end, we had this, we had this, this, tra this trainer. His name is Marshall Willis. I'm talking about dude was rough, man. He's from Atlanta, Georgia. He was rough, man. I'm talking about real rough. Uh, um, one particular day, he said, let's run. We're, we're going to run one mile, he said. I'm like, bet, let's go. And, you know. <laughs> so we, we, we get in formation, and we start running. And when, at the parking lot is where we normally finish. So when we got to the parking lot, before we got to the parking lot, he turned around and went back the other way. So, you know, and now he's running the other way. And then he comes back around, and we get to the parking lot, turns back around, runs another mile. Turns back around, runs another mile. And... Before you knew it, on the fourth time he turned back around to run an another mile, people began to fall out, hamstrings. Every, every, people just began to fall out because they did not know when we were going to stop. So they just went ahead and fell out. <laughs> they were like, man, you know what, I'm, I'm just done. But see, I had been there long enough. I knew that if you fell out of a run, it was going to be worse when, it, when after the run, when you were doing push-ups. So you might as well just go ahead and just finish this run. Just suffer now. And... We finally got, he finally was going to finish this time, and we finally got to the finish line, and the girl in front of me just collapsed over the, over the finish line, just collapsed. Like, eyeballs in the back of her head collapsed. I'm like, oh, Lord. I was like, I don't know, this is, this is, this is going to be on the news. I was like, I don't know how he's going to explain this. So I, I'm looking at him, because I want to see how he explains. She's laying, the body's laying here. And he looks at her and begins clapping. He used to start clapping and, and looks at us. He said, next time you want to fall out of my run, you better be like her and fall out over the finish line. And walked away and said, somebody give her some CPR. 
I said, oh, Lord. I said, that, that, I'm in the wrong place. <laughs> I'm in the wrong place. <laughs> but that day, we ran a total of four miles. We ran a total of four miles. We had ran five just fine. But when we ran four miles in that condition, where we had to turn around, go back, turn around, and people didn't know when we were going to finish, people fell out. Because because they didn't have the stamina, they thought I don't know how when this thing is going to end. But you have more strength than the enemy does. He's created you on a higher level than the enemy. He can't fight you forever. There comes a time when this thing has to end. There comes a time when this thing has to end, and I love it because it's in prison where his destiny is born. It's in the place that the enemy told him you're going to live here and die. That's the place where he's promoted. Not in his father's house where common logic said it's going to happen. It happened in prison. Yeah. Turn with me to, to Genesis because this is one of my favorite scriptures concerning this story. Uh, Genesis 41. And we're going to start in 38. He's in prison. He, beget, he, he gets a reputation for being able to interpret dreams. Pharaoh hears about it, sends a dream down to Joseph. Joseph interprets it, and it, it ends up being the correct dream, so Pharaoh begins to promote Joseph, and here goes the promotion. And Pharaoh said to his servants, verse 38, can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you, you shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took off his signet ring and put it on Joseph's hand. He clothed him in garments of fine li linen, that's, that's going to be a robe, and put, put a gold chain around his neck. And he had him ride in the second chariot, which he had. And they cried out before him, bow the knee. So he set him over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh. And without your consent, no man may lift his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. If you remember, when his brothers threw him into the, to the pit, they took his robe. They took, they took the thing that, that represented his favor. But when he got promoted, somebody said, there's another robe. When he got promoted, it came with another robe. But this time, the robe, other just, just having many colors, this time the robe came with a signet ring, amen, a chariot, and a promotion, amen. Somebody say, there's another robe. Because, because so many times, we, we, we put our hope in one robe. But when God favors you, there's always another robe. You can take one robe from me, but you better believe there's going to be another robe coming. Quit trying to chase the robe and realize the robe chases you, amen. The robe chases you. But when it comes back, it's coming back with a stronger anointing. It's coming back with, with a, stronger, a stronger promotion. There is another robe. This is, the, this, is, this is David at the end, amen. Scroll down to 51 because I like to hear what people say at the end of the story. I want to hear what you say when it's all said and done, amen. In the middle of the story, Job said, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. But at the end of the story, he was saying God is faithful. In the middle of the story, Joseph said, David said, God, why is your hand so far from me? But at the end, he said, I've been young and I've been old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken. It matters what you say at the end of the story. In the middle, it may not seem like so, but at the end of the story, I want to hear what you say. Amen. Amen. 
when somebody gets to where to the promised land, I want to hear what they say at the end of the story. And this is this is Joseph at the end of the story. He begins to name his sons, and he's naming them from his perspective of life and, and of God. Amen. He names his first son Manasseh. For God has made me forget all my toil in all my father's house. And then the name of the second son, Ephraim. For God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. The first son he names Manasseh, meaning God calls me to, he, he calls me to forget all my toil and my father's house. It's, it's amazing that he had to forget the place where he was the favored one. He had to forget his father's house. Because in his father's house was missed opportunity. In his father's house, he had the opportunity to be bitter. Where God's trying to take you, you cannot take the former things. Amen? You cannot take the former things with you. You cannot take, the, you cannot take any of the shame, any of the hurt, any of the pain. In your destiny, there can be no pain, no hurt, no bitterness. you got to forget about it. He said, God caused me to forget all that stuff. It was in forgetting that he was able to bless me. It was in the forgetting. Amen? Forgetting the former things. Then he gets to Ephraim. He says, Ephraim, he said, the Lord calls me to win where the enemy designed for me to fail. He calls me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. He said, he calls me to win where the enemy designed for me to fail. He calls me to win on the enemy's turf. Amen. The, your greatest victory will be on the enemy's turf. I'm a Titans fan. Don't judge me. Some of y'all got the same issue. It's just like a bad relationship. It's like, it's like one of them bad ones. We begin, I've been a Titans, fan for, a Titans fan for 20 years. It's a bad relationship. It's a bad one. It's, it's like one of those relationships where you've been together so long, you know, you don't, want, you don't feel like training somebody else. You've been together so long, it's cheaper to keep her. You know, it's just, <laughs> I, don't know where, I don't know where else to go. I don't know who else, you know, I'm just a Titans fan. But back in the day, man, I was, I was head over here in love with the Titans. I was, I, was, I was head over here. I'm talking about they had my heart. They had my heart back in the day, man. You had Eddie George and Steve McNair, and you had this, this great defense, man. Like, like they were just beating everybody. They, in the year 2000, they, they had just came back from a Super Bowl loss, and they were coming back to take the crown. They were the best. All the analysts said this is the best team in the NFL, the Tennessee Titans. This is the best team in the NFL. And we had home field advantage throughout the playoffs. This is, this is our year. Like, it's on our turf. Our fans are filling, filling the stadium. This is our year. Can't, can't nobody come in this stadium and beat us. Well, the Ravens came in. <laughs> and I don't know what happened to El Del Greco. He's our, he's our field goal kicker. I don't know whether he got paid or he was missing on purpose or what. But he missed like 10 field goals. I'm, I'm exaggerating. But he missed a lot of field goals. And we're down by seven points. And I'm like, cool, you know what, Steve McNair's going to, you know, we're, we're going to come back. We're going to come back. So Steve McNair drops back for a fourth quarter game-winning drive. And he throws the ball to Eddie George. And Eddie George, like, he like bobbles it. And out of nowhere, the Ravens linebacker, Ray Lewis, takes the ball. And he runs it back for a touchdown for the Ravens. And that, the game was over. And he put a finger up to all, of the, all the crowd. And he told them to be quiet. <laughs> and it, it's a 10-year-old boy that hurt. Um, they asked Ray Lewis after the game why he told the, the stadium to be quiet. He said, I was telling all of Nashville it's time to go home. Your season is over with. He said, there's nothing better than beating somebody on their own turf when all the odds were against us. Come on, come on. Yeah. And to this day, I still pray the Ravens lose every game. Right. 
But I did learn something from that. He said, there's nothing better than beating somebody else on their own turf. At the end of your, at the end of your book of your life and you look back, your greatest victories will be winning with the enemy designed for you to fail. That will be winning where he said, this is the place you're going to die. That will be your, your greatest victory, amen. That will be the time, those will be the stories where you can't, you can't miss it when you, when you tell your life story. Amen. Jesus, even himself, when he came back to the disciples after he had died on the cross and resurrected, he came back, he was, he was all cleaned up, but he said, keep my nail-pierced hands. Keep, keep, these, keep, the, keep these scars because it's my story. Keep them because it's my story. For eternity, when I tell my story, I can't tell my story without telling you about these nail-pierced hands. Paul said that the very thing that I asked God to take out of my life for three times, God said no. He said now it's the very thing I boast about. I boast about now. I boast about the, the times I was in trouble. Those are the things I boast about now. I can't tell my story without telling. The, I cannot tell my story without telling you about the land of my affliction, the land where the enemy designed for me to fail. I cannot tell my story about that. If you're going to have an effective Christian walk, amen, a, a life of victory. When God created you, he created you to have dominion. He created you to win. He created you to win. He said, he said let us make men in our own image and let them have dominion. I've created them to dominate and win. I did not create them to lose to the enemy. I did not create them to lose to him. All he can do in my life is change my condition. He can take me to the pit, amen. He can take me to the pit, amen. But, he, he, but if you have the faith, amen, he cannot touch you. He can take you in the lion's den, but if you have faith, he, the lions cannot touch you. He can put you in the fiery furnace, but if you have faith, the fire cannot touch you. I'm praying that your faith fail you not. I dare you, as a church body, we ought to take that as, a, as an example. When somebody's going through something, maybe it's not the condition that you ought to be praying for all the time. Maybe it's the person's faith. That faith. They get the faith, amen, they can change that condition. When Jesus prayed for somebody else, he did not pray for the condition. He prayed for that person's faith. Think it not strange, amen, that this fiery trial has come to you. Stop thinking everything is strange in your life. When something comes your way, quit thinking it's strange. It's there for a reason, amen. This is, this, is, this is your leapfrog moment, amen. This is your promotion moment. I can win where all along he designed for me to fail, amen. Did you get anything today, amen?